this morning, like we've been doing all throughout this sermon series, after we read this morning's scripture passage, I'm gonna ask you, what questions do you have about the passage, okay? And it's gonna be an opportunity for you to, out loud, share some of the questions that you have about the passage. And just a little, uh, something I've noticed, okay, over the last several weeks, is there are about 10% of you who are very comfortable with this exercise, okay? <laughs> and there are about 90% of you who apparently are very uncomfortable with this exercise. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, what I wanna, I wanna just remind you why we're doing it, right? That the heart of, of uh, asking for y'all to participate in what is happening uh, this morning, uh, even during the sermon, is because part of it is, is to help, help us live into what we always say, which is that what we're doing here is not a show, right? Uh, that you didn't, this morning is not about me being up here saying something to you. That what we believe is that God is present here this morning, that he's working here this morning, and that his Holy Spirit desires to speak with you. And that because of that, this is not a show. It's not about what's happening up here. It's about what God is doing in your heart where you are. And so this kind of participatory uh, process here in the beginning is a way of trying to break, break the third wall. Isn't that what they call it in TV, right? Fourth wall, thank you, okay. I watch TV. Uh, <laughs> trying to break the fourth wall and to remind you to kind of like get you a little bit, hey, like this is for you. This is for you to be engaged in what's happening here, not just as spectators, not that you would go home and think, well, that was really interesting, but that you would actually be asking the Lord, Lord, what are you teaching me through what's happening here this morning? Lord, what am I curious about? How, how are you calling me to know you more uh, through what's happening this morning? So, if you're sitting here, and when I ask, what questions do you have? This is what used to happen to me when I would get asked that question, because uh, this was done to me when I went to, went to one of our other Midtown congregations, is Randy would ask a question, and I would think of an answer, and then I would think, well, I don't want to be the guy who's like, you know, answering, and then what does that say about me? You know, I'm trying to get noticed, and just, I'm like all spiraling into myself, right, thinking about, so now I have totally left the room, and I'm just in my own motivations. That's not the point of what's happening. I think that's why our kids are the ones who are always eager to answer these questions on Sunday mornings, right? It's because there's just a lack of self-consciousness, right? Here to participate. And so that's what I wanna invite you to this morning. If you don't wanna answer the question still, that's fine, right? Uh, but what I'm calling you out of is the sense that we're a part of a show and calling you out of those questions, sending you in, like, deep into your own self and motivations and asking you to participate with the Lord in what he has for us this morning. Okay. I've, got, I've forgotten who our reader is. Uh, well, whoever our reader is, you can go ahead and come up. Okay, Shannon's gonna read for us this morning. So she, it's not a show, remember? Okay. Uh, so Shannon is gonna read our passage for us this morning. Is it on? Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of that, every time I read, my heart's always like beating really fast. Yes. <laughs> so, glad you said that. Um, okay, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage at, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. 
And when they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to, him, to, said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thanks, Shannon. Pray with, pray with me. Hey, Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, thankful that you desire to reveal yourself to us and pray that you would do that this morning. Lord, we ask that you would show us your character and that it would be more beautiful to us and that it would change us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what questions do you have about this passage? Why didn't they question Jesus? Yeah, why didn't they question Jesus about this donkey? Whose donkey was it? Yeah. How many of the people who were shouting Hosanna were also in the crowd shouting for his crucifixion later that week? Yeah. Why is Jesus choosing this moment to do something more public when so often he's trying to keep things under the radar? What emotions was Jesus experiencing as he was going through this? One or two more. Why did he go into the temple? Yeah. Yeah, how many people are a part of this parade that Jesus is on? Is it like, is it a few crowds? Is it, is it everyone? Like how many people are here? So what we're gonna look at this morning, we'll probably touch on some of these questions. Uh, we're, gonna look at the char- we're gonna examine the character of Jesus that we see in this passage. And we're gonna examine the mission of Jesus as it's displayed in this passage. And then we're gonna talk about what the imitation of Jesus looks like in our lives based on this passage. So the character of Jesus the mission of Jesus, and the imitation of Jesus. That's where, where we're going. And like I said, kind of starting the service, this launches uh, what the church has come to call Passion Week. And I'm always tempted to call it the last week of Jesus' life, which is kind of true and not true, because the week ends in his death and his crucifixion, but then it, it really ends with his resurrection, right? And so Jesus isn't dead in the sense that he never does anything after this, but it's, it's really kind of the, the culmination of his, of his earthly ministry and really of this part of his life that we call the humiliation of Christ. So he's resurrected, right, next Sunday, and that's the exaltation of Christ. It's Christ lifted up. But then what we see in this week is Christ brought low. And that's been happening all throughout his life, but it really happens especially in this week before his crucifixion. 
And so we're gonna be pulling uh, a lot from other parts of the Passion Week narrative as, uh, as we're going through our passage this morning. And really that's just a part of us acknowledging there's so much of uh, Jesus' life that occurs in this week and there's so much of it that we don't get to preach on, right? We'll do our Tenebrae service on Friday, which is a way of kind of acknowledging and participating in a lot of what goes on, and then Easter service on Sunday. But today we're gonna be kind of pulling from this week uh, as a way of helping to prepare ourselves for, for what's coming up this week. And that's how I really want us to be thinking about the next several days, is that, uh, that as a community, we would be preparing ourselves for the celebration of Easter Sunday. So that's what our Tenebrae service is about, this darkening service. It's about us uh, preparing ourselves for the celebration of Easter as a part of what we're doing here this morning. Okay, so let's talk about the way we see Jesus' character laid out for us in this passage. Now, let me take us down to verse eight. It says, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut from fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna means save us now, God. And the visual, I want you to think of this essentially as like a a ticker tape parade, right? I'm sure you've seen footage of those kinds of things like where a sports team wins uh, a, a championship. Like, just imagine if some point in time one of our Nashville sports team was to win a championship, right? How exciting that would be. <laughs> uh, maybe one day. And, right, people would line the streets, and the goal would be, I just want to get a, a, a glimpse of this team as they're passing through town. This big celebration. That's what's happening here. There's this big celebration, a parade, as people are praising and trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he's coming into town. what they recognize about Jesus is that Jesus is a king. They say, bring us the kingdom of our father David. Who can bring a kingdom except for a king, right? What these people knew about Jesus is that he was a man with authority. That's one of the pieces of Jesus' character I want us to see in this passage, that Jesus was a man of authority. And that who, whenever people interacted with Jesus, that's one of the things that they walked away with was a sense that, wow, this man is a man who has authority. Like at the beginning of Mark's gospel, when Jesus is out teaching amongst the people, it says the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their scribes. A little bit of shade on the scribes over there, right? But what they're saying is that when Jesus opened his mouth and he taught people, there was something that was different about his teaching. That people would say, whoa, you are not giving us suggestions. You're not giving us your best thoughts. You're giving us something authoritative. Like Jesus says uh, often in his ministry, truly, truly, I say to you. So often Jesus does quote scripture, but he also speaks with the authority of scripture himself. when Jesus in this Passion Week goes in and cleanses the temple, the religious leaders ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? And you hear that in their questions, they're not, what they recognize is that Jesus is acting with authority. 
They're not denying that he has authority. They're questioning, where does that authority come from? But our Jesus is a a man uh, whose character shows forth authority. And not authority as in, I was thinking about, about this, how often we put on authority like as a show, you know? Like if I want to get something done, I kind of have to like, you know, like gear myself up for it and like put on my stern voice and like, I have authority, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like the uh, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night commercial, right? Where the whole sense of that commercial is, you know, someone who uh, like steps out of the row and pilots a plane down to the lane and they're like, oh, where'd you learn to do this? And he's like, oh, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. No, that was a lot, I guess it was a long time ago, but uh, those are people who are essentially like putting on authority as, as like a show or as a garment. And that's not what we see in Jesus. He's not putting on an authority, that he has authority that comes from within him and comes out of him toward other people that's inherent in him, that people recognize when they're around him. That he has the power to order to accomplish, to instruct, and to lead the people around him. We talked about when Jesus goes into the temple, right? So the temple was this place that people came to worship God. And there was a certain area of the temple that was set aside for Gentiles or non-Jewish people to come and worship God. But because the worship of God also involved sacrifices, people had set up these booths where they would buy and sell animals where they would buy and sell animals. But they set those things up in the place that God had set aside for people who weren't Jews to be able to come and worship him. And Jesus uses his authority to drive all of those people out, to clear it out as, and, and remake it into a place of worship. So he, the Gospels tell us he sits there and he makes this whip that he uses to drive out the animals. He turns over the, the tables of the money changers and he says, get out of here. And the people listen to him, right? They do what he says. They could have pushed back. The first person who got his table flipped over could have said, who are you? But that's not what happened. People listened, they moved, they responded to the authority of Jesus. And yet, this authoritative Jesus is also incredibly humble. We see this in Jesus' choice to come into Jerusalem in the middle of this parade on a donkey. Right? Not, just on, uh, not just on a donkey, but on the foal of a donkey, like a baby donkey. Right? Like I want you to imagine if we're in this ticker, ticker tape parade as one day the Titans won a championship, right, a Super Bowl, and we're all lined up on the streets cheering for them coming through. What if they were all riding through on, on Vespas, you know? which are cool in their own way, right? We have some friends here who have them, they're wonderful. Uh, But it's just not what you would expect, right, for the Titans in a ticker tape parade. It's just a little bit silly for that context. That's what's happening here. Like if you think of Jesus on a baby donkey, I'm like does he have to have his legs like pulled up? Is he like on a monkey bike, like out in front of him so his feet aren't dragging on the ground? This is silly, it's not what people expect. What they expected was for him to come in riding a horse like a war horse, something that projected power and strength and magnificence, and that's not what he does at all. Why would he do that? It's because what is true about our Jesus is that he is humble. 
It says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah 42 talks about the humility of our Savior. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. When Jesus is interacting with uh, different people in his ministry, uh, he got criticized for who he hung out with. People who were kind of the dregs of society. Mark tells us when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They were asking, why does Jesus choose to associate with people who are so far below him? What they were picking up on is Jesus' humility. There was no putting on airs with Jesus. No trying to seem a certain way. No trying to project his own importance. Jesus was a man who was profoundly humble. And we see in verse three in our passage the way those two things come together, his authority and his humility. He says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? That is untying this random donkey say, the Lord has a need of it and will send it back here immediately. Jesus calls himself Lord. He recognizes his authority and yet he uses his authority to send his disciples to go get a donkey. You see, it's the humility and the authority coming together. I also love that Jesus tells, tells them that he can, he, to tell the people that they take the donkey from, don't worry, he'll send it back. <laughs> what an attention to detail, you know? Isn't this what we most desperately long for in our leaders? That we would see people who have authority that's not put on, that's not them trying to seem important, but that comes from within them and yet are also profoundly humble. Isn't that what we want? Like I think about any, if you ever watch any kind of coverage of any political convention in this country, what you will always see is a movie montage of this person's growing up life the politician's growing up life. And what are they trying to prove to you with the montage of their growing up life? Their humble beginnings, right? They're always highlighting their origin story and their humble beginnings. Because what they're trying to say is we're just like you, right? We're humble, just like you. But what is so different about all of those political montages is that the people who are showing them to us are trying to say we're humble just like you so that we can get more power to accomplish what we want to accomplish. So they take this desire that we have and they twist it. But what it speaks to is this desire that is in all of us for this kind of humble authority to be manifested in and over our lives. And it's so important that we talk about the character of Jesus because, uh, friends, the truth of Jesus alone is not enough to change you. It's an important part of the process. But what also has to be true for for you and I to be changed by the gospel is that we would believe that Jesus is beautiful, not just that he's true. That we wouldn't only know facts about Jesus, but that our hearts would be moved when we see who Jesus is. So when we look at Jesus' 
his authority and his, and his humility. My prayer for us this morning is that that would move us. That we would see not only is that true, but that's good and that's beautiful. It's what our hearts were made for. It's what we desire. And part of what makes, makes Jesus' character beautiful here is the way that it works out in the next week of Jesus' life. In the mission that Jesus plays out as he goes into Jerusalem. Someone asked, why did Jesus go into the temple? See that in verse 11? And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now what Jesus was doing by going to the temple is he, it's kind of like on game day, uh, going to the field and kind of checking out the stadium, right? Or as you all know, I'm very into Formula One. So it's like going and walking the racetrack before the race. He's getting a sense of what's about to, un- of the place where this uh, mission is about to unfold. He's taking it in. He's, he's walking the field because he's in Jerusalem on purpose. That Jesus came to Jerusalem on a mission. He entered Jerusalem claiming this kingly authority in a humble way. He did that on purpose. Because what was true about Jesus, what's true about his ministry is that his entire life was focused toward this moment of his crucifixion and his resurrection. What unfolds over the course of Passion Week? Because these crowds that were shouting Hosanna that turn into crowds that are shouting crucify him, that's not something that happened to Jesus. It's something that Jesus chose to enter into. This is what John, this is what Jesus has to say about that himself in John 10, 18. He's talking about his life. We'll read starting verse 17. It says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. That what Jesus is telling his disciples, what he's telling them of before he goes to the cross, he's saying, I am choosing to lay down my life for you. I'm choosing it. I'm taking all of the authority that's been given to me. I'm taking all of my authority as the pre-existent Son of God, second member of the Trinity. I'm using all of that authority to come for you. I'm using all of that authority to humble myself. I'm using all of that authority to put myself on a cross in your place. I'm using all of that authority to bring about a kingdom that is so upside down from the kingdom of this world. I'm using all of that authority to bring a kingdom that's that's power is exercised through suffering. That's beauty is manifested in humility. I'm bringing a kingdom that's not about what you can earn. It's about a kingdom of what has been given to you. It's about a kingdom of grace. That is the way our Jesus chose to use his authority, was to humble himself, even to the point of death, even death on a cross.
he would use his authority to be humiliated, beaten, mocked, killed like a criminal, because he knew that's what was necessary to restore your relationship with God. Because he knew that was what was necessary for you to be called a son and a daughter of the king. Who is like our God? That he would come humble, mounted on a donkey. And yet, as that verse in Zechariah says, bringing forth justice and righteousness. And that, ex- that, that example of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, he uses that then to call us to imitate him, to walk in the way of the cross. Right, this is, this is our king. The people that all, the person that all the people are saying, Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who then chose with all of that authority to go to the cross. That is our king. And when, when we come to Jesus and we call him Lord, what he calls us into is a way of life that is like his way of life which is a way of humility. And this is so different than the way that uh, following Jesus is so often packaged in our world and sold to us and the people around us. That so often the way the gospel is presented is, hey, you have a great life. You know what would make it better? A cherry on top. Jesus, right? he can fulfill all of your deepest spiritual longings. And so you can have everything in your life just the way it is, but then just add a little bit of Jesus and now you can feel better about everything happening in your life. Or we can talk about the gospel as this thing that gets you all the things that you really want, right? You wanna be powerful in life? Oh, Jesus can help you with that. You wanna be rich in life? Oh, Jesus can help you with that. Oh, you wanna be well-liked in life? Oh, Jesus has a lot of ideas about how you can get people to like you. So just come to Jesus and he'll give you everything that you want. Both of those things are not the gospel, right? Our Jesus is calling us into something radically different. He's not here to come and, and this is, I get so turned around in this because he's not here to meet all of the goals and the agenda that we set for him. That's what the people in this passage were doing. Come save us. Bring the kingdom of our father David. Bring us a political revolt. Throw off the yoke of the Roman Empire. Make us be great again. And Jesus says to them, you're missing the point. That's why these crowds disperse and fade into the background after this. Because he refuses to be made king on their terms. He is not coming to, our, to, to, to fulfill your hopes and dreams for your life but he's coming to call you into a totally different way of being, a way that is the way of the cross, a way that he says, to, to save your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to, be, you've got to die to yourself. And yet, in doing that, what's true is that he is giving us what our hearts most deeply desire, which is a relationship with him. It's what we were created for. And 
And guys, I will tell you, as I was meditating on this passage and on uh, what's coming up this week, I was so struck by how much I don't want this for my life. I think what really drove it home for me was reading about the way that the soldiers uh, treated Jesus before he was put on the cross. It says, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his his head with a reed. And spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. That's our Jesus. And I read that and I thought, Lord, I don't want that for my life. That kind of humility and humiliation, God, no thank you. My agenda for my life is, uh, is about my glory so often. About me being made big or famous or well-liked or whatever it is. And I was so convicted. Oh, Jesus, you're calling me, you're calling us to a totally different way of life. And yet you promise us that in that humility, in that dying to ourselves, that we will find life in you. That what the scriptures tell us is that when we are buried with him in a death like his, we will be resurrected with him in a new life like his. And the death that we're called into is this kind of a humble death. And we're called into that kind of death that we could receive the promise of the resurrection that comes for us next Sunday. What does that imitation look like? How does that humility play itself out in our day-to-day lives? And we've got a group of people here who are working to put together a plan for us for how we are gonna love Stratford High School, love our neighborhood through the East National Cooperative Ministry in the coming year. Friends, for us to love Stratford High School well, for us to love our neighborhood well, that's gonna require humility in us, a willingness to die to ourselves. Like I was talking to the, to the guy who uh, runs Young Life at Stratford High School. Young Life is this ministry that really loves high schoolers so well. Like gets into the nitty gritty of their lives, sees them, cares about them, has fun with them, and tells them about Jesus. And they do their club meeting, their weekly meeting at uh, Riverside Revival, which is just a few blocks away from here. And then after club, whenever they have club, they drive all those kids home. And this guy told me, my dream is that we have to have a team of drivers to drive these kids home because there are so many kids coming to hear about Jesus. 
I thought, oh, yes. When you get there, I want us to be a part of doing that, of driving those kids home. Do you think that's gonna take dying to self on our part? To go and pick up a bunch of rowdy teenagers at 7 p.m.? Let them make messes in our cars with, with their you know, chip-covered fingers, right? <laughs> yes, it will. And we don't even get to do the exciting work, right? Of talking about Jesus, we're just driving them home. And yet, that, that's, that's what the humility tastes like. I see it in you guys as you, as you serve our community, as you care for the places where your kids go to school and you volunteer in the PTA and do all kinds of stuff that takes up a ton of time that nobody says thank you for when you would rather be doing something else. That's what that humility tastes like. I think about uh, like our Easter egg hunt yesterday. Some of you were there. Uh, it was such an encouraging morning for me. It was very cold. And a lot of you were there. We had, we had, I counted 80 adult people and 80 tiny people. And about half of them I had never seen before in my entire life. And I thought, oh, we're doing it. We're saying, come and see. Did it for Bunko, right? Did it for the, for the men's night? And, and here's why that tastes like humility, okay? Because uh, humility isn't thinking of yourself less. It's not, excuse me, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? And nothing requires you to get outside of yourself like inviting somebody else to something. Because inviting is always a risk. There's always a risk that you can be told no. And that always hurts. And so to say to somebody, come and see, whether it's to an event or whether it's into your home or your life, always requires a risk. It always requires humility because it requires you to look outside of yourself and see somebody else. Maybe you ask somebody to come to one of these things and they said no. Oh, it's so humbling, isn't it? And maybe they said yes and they came and you felt awkward the whole time. Yes, it's humbling, isn't it? That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. That's the way that it feels, guys. That's the way of Jesus. It's true when you give your lives away to the people around you to help them know Jesus more. It is profoundly humbling. Like, this is probably sometime, I always say the other day when it could have been anything from like five years ago to now, but the other day, I got a call uh, from this couple that I have invested just a lot of years in my life in. And they said, hey, thank you for the time you put into our marriage. And I told them, oh, guys, this is so encouraging because so often when I think about our time together, all I see is my own sin and all the ways that I messed it up. And the wife said to me, well, that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's one of my friends who always tells the truth. Okay, Uh, that's probably true, but Jesus used it anyway. I thought, oh, that is so encouraging for me to hear because when I'm giving my life away, my eyes are still often on me that I could think that my sin would get in the way of what Jesus wants to do or that because they said that it was meaningful to them, I would get puffed up with look at what I did and she was reminding me, no, Jesus loves to use his people right where they are, how they are. That giving your life away is a profoundly humbling thing 
but it's a thing that we're invested in that we're called to with each other, right? It's a thing that you guys are saying yes to with each other all the time. So the call of this week, the Passion Week, the call of this passage for us is that we would see Jesus as beautiful. His authority and his humility coming together to move toward us, to bring us to himself, that we would see that as beautiful. And that as we look forward to the resurrection, that we would be willing in the meantime to see our own sin, specifically our own pride, that we'd be willing to look at it and to repent of it. To say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I insist on being my own king. Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I seek my kingdom over your kingdom. Would, would you show those things to me this week? Let me put them down to remember the cost of you covering those things and the humility that you're inviting me into, the celebration that you're preparing me for on Easter Sunday. Would you take some time this week to do that? To ask the Lord to open up your eyes to show you uh, the pride in your own heart, not as a way, again, of pushing you down into this shame spiral, but as a way of pointing you toward the hope of the resurrection. That as we die a death like his, that we know that we're promised to experience a resurrection that is like his. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, who is like you? Lord, what God is like our God that, uh, that you are holy, that you're full of majesty, Lord, that you are so separate from us, and yet one of the ways that you choose to show us your holiness, one of the things that sets us apart is the way that you move toward and love people who are so unlike you and yet bear your image. Jesus, would you humble us uh, not with a sense of our own unworthiness, Lord, but would you humble us with the sense of your love for us? Would you humble us with the grace that you have poured out on us, Lord? And as we worship you this morning, would you awaken our hearts to the beauty uh, of your character and your work on our behalf? And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.